Episode 128, Above Ground Podcast, Broadcast Day. Disclaimer, the host of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 128 of Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. First, let me get it right out of the way. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. No matter where you are, no matter what you celebrate, no matter whether you can or can't, okay? I am grateful to be alive at this point in my life more so than I ever have before, and I just want to share that with everyone. Thank you to everyone out there who listens to this show. Thank you to everyone who I get to meet and talk to, and we get to meet and talk to. But thank you for your support, and thank someone else. Just a minute of gratitude, that's all. That's what it's about. Don't forget what this is about. Don't forget what this season is about. Don't make it about presents and gifts and and running around from store to store and getting pissed at people. Don't do it because you're just setting yourself up for misery. That's that's it. That's all I got for you. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Uh, the next big thing for Above Ground Podcast to be involved in is Punk Rock Flea Market, Sunday, December 5th at Empire Live, Albany. From 12 to 6 p.m. From 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., there is Punk Rock Flea Market. This is the first Punk Rock Flea Market, and there are going to be vendors selling all kinds of stuff. Clothes, records, T-shirts, there's taxidermy, there's original art, there is a mental health resource table. And you know who that is? That's Above Ground Podcast. Woo, yeah. So Above Ground Podcast will be there, and we'll be handing out information from all kinds of not-for-profits and stuff just to get the resources out there. And we can't wait to meet everybody that comes to Punk Rock Flea Market Sunday, December 5th, 12 to 6, Empire Live. Be there. Get your Christmas shopping done. Now for episode 128, it is an interview with Cassandra Pratt. Cassandra Pratt lost her brother Jonathan to suicide, and we get to share some of Jonathan's poetry, and we also get to hear about how just how much of a force of light Jonathan was in everybody's lives. But I wanted to say, I wanted to start the show just by saying what what Cassandra's mom had said in the foreword to to the book, uh, The Collective Poetic Works of Jonathan Pratt. This is the time, John. Those who knew you will travel the path again. Those who did not know you before may see themselves in the journey. Your poetry spans the distance between what is gone, what is now, and eternity. And those are the words of Deborah Walker Pratt. And I share those with you because we still feel the loss of our loved ones, but our loved ones are never far from us, and we have to keep that in mind. 
So with that, episode 128, broadcast day. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Above Podcast? Because <laughs> you can't serve below. What's up, Timmy? It's not our... Uh, it's not our normal day and time that we're doing this. I know. So it's a we're little, little bit, off. We're a little off. Um, how are we doing? What's up, man? It's midweek that we're doing an interview, so it's not like hump day. Hump day. The day after yeah. tomorrow is is Friday, so that's a good thing, man. I guess. I, yeah, it doesn't maybe. make a difference here in uh, my world, but <laughs> but uh, you know we're here, and we're much appreciated that you're here. We much appreciate that you're here today. <laughs> uh today are what Go, i'm sorry say, how are you i was gonna say how are you doing i'm doing all right i'm doing all right okay we're we're here man we're here in front of the microphone well actually not in front of the microphone we're behind the microphone because that's technically what you are you're right. behind the mic it's not in front of them you're not in front you're behind <laughs> now all that right. we have that cleared up now that we have on? that cleared up folks we are joined this evening this morning whenever you're listening to this podcast by cassandra pratt cassandra 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 how do you like cassandra. it cassandra or cassandra cass. pratt cass yeah we call her cass um cassandra pratt is the sister of jonathan pratt and cassandra lost her brother jonathan to suicide and uh cassandra happens to be uh, the fiance of a good friend of the show, uh, Ralph Renna. And um, I've been able to meet Cass through different things with AFSP. And and I really wanted to get into what sibling loss is like. But I wanted to start with this premise that her brother's memory is still here because the one great thing about art when it comes to using art as a mode of therapy is is if you do lose your battle with life, then you leave something behind and you leave a legacy. And that legacy is art. And I found this one poem in, in Jonathan's book of poetry that I wanted to read to everybody. And it's called Broadcast Day. I think I'll shut it off now. Feel like it's time for the greatest broadcast this world has ever seen to come to a close. Seeing the world eye to eye just doesn't cut it anymore. A communication breakdown? Fast underway, it's snowballing wildly. So I'm shutting down now, too. This concludes our broadcast day. Mm. I read those words, and and this is no lie, I, and I'm getting chills thinking about it and saying it. I could feel his spirit kind of emanate through those words, and... I, I, we appreciate you being on so much to talk about your brother. Um, I know that you don't get to do this very often. You haven't had the chance to do this very often. So I, I just want you to kind of tell us how you're doing, what you're doing and, and what, what you want everybody to know about your brother and, and what it's like to be the sister who doesn't have her brother anymore. Well, um, I'm doing very good these days. It took me probably probably like two to three years um, to come out of a, I call it a fog. Um, when you lose something very suddenly, unexpectedly, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a suicide, but it could be you know a car accident or something like that. 
all of a sudden when everything gets flipped upside down your whole world um all i can say is like is you're you're in a fog and it's really hard to find people that can um understand being lost like that um i'm gonna talk more probably about the way i feel rather than um him or what he thought to what was going to happen that's um, what we want i we yeah. want to know your feelings absolutely yeah. so it was kind of like a fog and um i was really when he left us i was more concerned about my parents and i had a lot of friends you know and i had a i had a good job that was like you know we're here you know take as much time as you need but if you're not used to having something like that happen, which I had never had a catastrophic event happen to me, um, you really have no sounding board and you really have no um, place to, um, to, to recognize that it's something that other people have been through. Um, so it was a few, I mean, I, I just describe it as a fog. I, I kind of felt like my life was in a fog. My brother was um, very intelligent. He was very adventurous. He was very dynamic. He was the kind of guy that would stand in the corner of a room at a party and kind of like assess the situation. And then when he knew the factors, he would then like rock the party. He was that guy. And thankfully him and I were in good standing. Uh, we're six year, we were six years apart. So even though he's my little brother and now I think back then I thought six years was like a huge difference. But now that I'm older, I'm 42, I'm like, well, six years is nothing. Um, we had the same influences, same you know, social things going on in the world that uh, it's really not that big of a difference. How old was he? I don't. Twenty three. He had just he turned twenty three. And then, what year was that? Two thousand nine. I didn't know anything was going wrong. I mean, we hung out the Friday before he went missing, and uh, it was a few days that nobody knew where he was. I I had hung out with him, and he had gone to a party before um, the night before. No one saw him again, so he had been missing for a few days. And uh, then we got the phone call from the state police that they found him. So again, it was like a, a big shock and not something that the average person uh, has ever dealt with. So finding, finding people to talk to about it that weren't just there to listen, but that could actually uh, understand was difficult in the beginning. And I was in a fog and that's the only way I can describe it. I can understand the being in a fog after, you know, hanging out with your brother, like you said, you had yeah. on the Friday prior to him going missing. And what was it like? Do you remember, were you there when the police came? No, or I got a phone call. I was sleeping and my father called and I answered the phone and my father told me that the police had contacted him. And they, he said, they found John. And then I knew, and I kind of knew the night before when I was saying my prayers, I was saying, um, you know, please let John contact 
mom and dad, please let him be found. Please let him be okay. But as I was saying that in my prayer, I also had this feeling like uh, it wasn't anything terrestrial or it wasn't anything anymore down here on earth. I kind of just had a feeling that it, it was already moved on into the heavens. It sounds to me like you're the two of you, your energy had crossed paths at, at that moment yeah. and you kind of knew right away. And it's, it, what were you, were you intuitive as a child? Are you intuitive now? Very do you get those, you like, do you get that? Oh, yeah. You and get those tingly feelings. And yeah, he's come through to me twice and he sent messages that are things that I would not know of. Um, I wouldn't think of a, them to be a big deal, but when I shared them with other people, it was, um, it like made a whole bigger, it made sense. Oh, and Ralph sounds. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. What's up, brother? <laughs> I'm doing, man. <laughs> good man definitely intuitive and i definitely know that for at least two times um he's come through to me and it wasn't just a dream it was like uh, a definite message because it it didn't mean anything to me but when i shared it with my parents it was a whole it like was a it um it was a bridge Wow. That that's pretty, that's pretty incredible that you had that kind of connection considering, yeah. especially considering that you guys were like six years apart too. Yeah. So that means you were probably out of the house, you know, doing your thing when he was still, a still growing, still a teen. And cool bigger sister. Cause I didn't want him to listen to Backstreet Boys. I was so scared that he was going to get into pop music when he was in <laughs> oh thank and goodness <laughs> i went to school at berkeley in boston and there was a tower records right around the corner and i bought him a box set of led zeppelin when he was like i don't know and i gave it to him and i was like just listen to this and it's nice he took it off he took off yeah i love it so we the good, were, the good we were big excited. sister I was a cool big sister. Yes. <laughs> I was looking out for him. I'm like, that's not music. This is. <laughs> was it just was it just the two of you? Yeah, just us. That's what I think also makes it a little more profound when you think about the impact going forward. I was very concerned about my parents because it was just him and I. So if you take out one and then um, it was just me and then trying to interpret and I didn't have the sibling to talk to about, Hey, you know, you think mom and dad are okay. Or, you know, and now that I'm older and my parents are getting older, I don't have that person to talk to about mom and dad or, so there's a lot of things. Someone once said, you know, you lose your past, you lose your current and you lose your future. And cause you, when you lose somebody, you always think, well, you just lost the past. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you also lose the future. And now that I'm getting older and I think about my brother and my parents getting older, I'm like, gee, it sure would be nice to have him, you know, to go through seeing my parents getting older and helping them and whatnot. Luckily, they don't need help right now, but you know, just having that family, that blood to do that with. Um, did, did it, did, did the, 
this tragic event bring you closer to your parents? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was 29. Opened up some doors. Yeah. I was 29 and I was still living very spontaneous, um, being spontaneous and, you know, in the moment. And as soon as this happened, it totally changed. It like flipped the cards, uh, where I went from being the child to, um, like overnight when it happened, I started automatically just starting looking out for my parents, like very protective, um, totally changed the role of being a child to being, um, a protector and totally made me be aware of time and how you spend it. Uh, well, that took time, that took time, but it made me realize how precious time and, um, the way we spend it is, um, being patient, listening, um, even if it's not something you're interested in, just being there and being present to absorb the things that are being shared with you because it means something to somebody else and giving them the time to say it. It definitely changed me. Uh, it definitely changed me in that way. It almost sounds like some of those are, are actually pretty like positive though. Yeah, yeah like you were, it seems like you're more, mindful of life yes. in general just oh, yeah. every little you know oh, what yeah. i mean yeah appreciative definitely. of the little things and oh, that's you know for you that 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 you know those dividends will be paid you know yeah. so yeah. Now, i wanted to i wanted to kind of touch swing back around to something because i could notice it when you were talking about missing your brother and having no one to talk to about your parents um we recently interviewed Kari eckert from robbie's hope and she was the mother of Robbie, who died by suicide at 15 years old. She had, she was the first person to really talk, really talk openly about the anger that she felt. And I'm really curious to know if you've, if you've worked through that, it, are you still working through that? Or is it sort of a day-to-day -day thing where there are days where you could just be pissed and be like, why aren't you here? And, and. Have you had those moments? No, never angry at my brother. I've been angry at other people that made what I felt at the time rude comments to me, like get over it. Why is she still talking about it? That kind of thing, but never at my brother. I You've read his poetry. Yes. Um, and, and most of the poetry in the book that you read from, he was only like 16, 17, 18. So that was still, that's early. John. Well, he seemed like, he seemed like an old soul at that Very point. Very wise before his years. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But, um, so he, he, um, no, I was never mad at him because I can, I can actually relate to and understand where he's coming from. Would I react the same? No. Um, but I do get where he's coming from. And the thing that would make me mad would be people who were in, inexperienced in loss and just thought that it would be something that in one or two weeks would be gone. Like, get over it. That made me mad. So the only anger I had was never at my brother. I was never at my family. It was always at people that were trying to force me to get back to my normal way prior to the I, I like the way you put that, though, that they were inexperienced because a lot of times we kind of 
you know, form this negative cloud over these people. And, and sometimes right. they, they just don't know, don't like know. you said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. And, and they just don't know sometimes. So that's pretty cool that you can um, carry that perception with you. Yeah. And, and I actually, knew it at the time. And that was what was frustrating because I knew that they didn't understand or I knew that they couldn't feel it because I, they were my friend and I knew that they hadn't gone through anything like this. And I was like, please just hear me, just trust me. And I even said, like, I don't expect you to know how I feel or understand how I feel. Um, please just give me space. Please just give me space. And unfortunately, one friend took that like personal that I didn't want their help. And there was some, I did lose a good friend after this happened. However, the good story, the, the, the nice ending is, is that after eight years of not talking, we did reconnect um, and we're not as tight as we had been back then, but uh, we're still, we're friends still. And she apologized to me and that made me feel really good. So sometimes it takes time. It just takes time. Yeah. Time, time is, is really the only thing. Yeah. Time is everything. Even though, even though it goes by, like something like this proves that time just stops when Mm -hmm. like you lose someone, but, but we also realize, and I think in, in coming back to what Tim was saying and you were saying about what you've learned about life yourself, about the closeness that like it can change in a second. And I want to kind of swing back around now to what you had just mentioned about kind of being able to empathize with John, with Jonathan about how he felt. And as someone, uh, you know, my story um, and Tim's. um, So we kind of share similar stories. Do you have, do you have those issues yourself? Do you deal with suicidal ideation? Do you, do you have anxiety or any sort of, diagnose yeah. diagnosable thing yep um i remember when i was like 15 or 16 i came home and i just started crying and i knew that i i knew that there was nothing for me to be sad about i had no reason to be crying i wasn't bullied you know i had friends i had a good day at school um there was nothing to make me feel the way I felt overwhelming sadness. And I would cry and like for, I don't know how long it lasted and maybe just a couple of days. I knew that my paternal grandfather had depression at the time. So I told my mom, I said, mom, I said, do you think that, um, I go, I think I might be depressed like grandpa. And she's like, well, you know, what makes you think that? And I'm like, well, I, I've been crying in my room. So we went, to uh, probably my pediatrician. And then they referred me to a mental health um, counselor. And probably for two years, my junior and senior year, I think it was back in the late nineties. I spoke to, I know, I used to think I knew this off the top of my head. Like I should know my health and my history like that, but it gets fuzzy. but I spoke to a nice, a, a really nice lady. And actually, instead of quizzing me, she just let me talk. And um, I was prescribed Zoloft back then. And I took it probably for the first few years of college. And then I 
think in like maybe 2002, I was like, I don't even know why I'm taking this anymore. Like everything's good. Everything's good. I'm fine. So I started weaning myself off. I would cut the pills in half and then finally I got weaned off it and I didn't touch it again until this year dun, dun, dun. because dun, dun. this year um i don't know in well i should say in june oh. of 2020 um i had a really bad anxiety attack never really had oh. anything like that happen to me before um i was pacing and um there was nothing that really triggered it i mean the world was crazy at the time but I mean, I didn't have any work was okay. My at home life was okay. Um, it's like, I just woke up one day and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't focus on anything. Um, so I am back on sertraline. It's not Zoloft anymore, sertraline. Or do you see a therapist? No. You, cause, cause you said you had nobody to talk to. And that's, I, I hope for you because I just went back to therapy myself. I would really love to see if you get to a therapist because oh, no, you could really to, use, you could really I, use to talk to somebody. And I think it'd be awesome. I'm thinking maybe, maybe it was, um, I let's see. Okay. So when I was a teenager, I had a therapist when Johnny died, I did go to a, a, a therapist and then um currently no i don't i'm okay now maybe when i said that i i didn't have anyone to talk to that was when he had just died um i think that's what that what i meant by that um i have worked my way through i'll give a plug to afsp worked my way not needing medication after that event or I, which I did attempt. And I also did attempt seeing a counselor after that event, but the counselor really just wanted to talk about me. And all I wanted to do was talk about him. <laughs> and I remember working one day in, I guess it was like late 2009 or early 2010. So it'd be like six or seven months after he passed. And I saw like a I don't know. It must've been on Facebook and it was like either for the walk for Rita or it was the SUNY Albany walk about, and I just saw it like suicide awareness or suicide prevention. And there was a contact for me to email somebody. And I just said, Oh my God, like, look right here, here it is. Here's, here's a person that I can talk to like, wow. Um, and I reached out, I sent the message or email or whatever it was. And it was Mary Ann Reed Shrum. And it wasn't just like a generic response I got. It was, you know, tell me about your loss, you know? And she's like, I lost my brother, Jonathan too. He was my baby brother too. And that was like the heavens opening for me because at that point I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. Meaning I did have people, but I didn't have anyone that got the, the depth of it. I had plenty of friends, but nobody understood the gut-wrenching pain or the anxiety or the worry or the fog. Nobody got that. And then I reached out to Marianne and she validated all my feelings. And that's how I got involved with AFSP. And, and that has 
connecting with other people that have that loss, that has been more beneficial to me than any, any pill or any counseling session. That was so going to be my question. question once actually. again, Timmy, once again, peer support comes out on top. That's it. That's it. You on know, it's top. that con- and, and the connection, you know, and you're, you're, you're with relatable people that have been through this or been through similar things and, you know, that are open to hearing your story and you can be yeah. open to hearing theirs. And there's, a, again, that, that connection Everything. Is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that, good to hear that 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 was there though for you and and yeah, uh, you, you could came, be a part of it it just kind of came i think i was just sitting at work and i was scrolling around and and it i just noticed it and it was like a game changer for me in my grieving process yeah the program the program now is called healing conversations and um, if you go to afsp.org backslash healing conversations and you have a loss uh, you can reach out to AFSP and someone will get in contact with you. And it, what they try to do is they try to pair you with peers who have the same loss, whether it be a parent, a sibling um, or a child or a friend or whatever. And it's free and you can reach out and and it's it's an amazing program. And they're really trying to rebrand it because they've realized that you know, they need to really push that program a lot more than they had in the past. And international survivor loss, international loss, uh, international survivor suicide loss day is Saturday, November 20th. So do you, do you miss not being able like, cause I know for at least for uh, one year, they kind of stopped the, like the read a walk and, and the, the, the gatherings. And I know that you have, been a speaker at one of them or two of them is that something that also helped you i mean do you miss having that as a you know kind of like a um again a a community connection i don't miss it because um i well i did it for 10 years we we had a team um friends and family of jonathan pratt and uh we did it for a good 10 years. And then, you know, slowly his friends get married. They moved away. Slowly my parents get older and walking is more difficult. And then slowly our team that once was like 20 is down to like two. Um, so I decided last year at our 10th year mark um, after that, that I would volunteer and help by fundraising or uh, sorry, sponsorships, get sponsorships, be more behind the scenes. Uh, It definitely, the years that I did put in, um, like boots on the ground at the walks and um, speaking and stuff, definitely it's cathartic. And to have people come up to you afterwards, and I think, Will, you did, or you sent me a message and you're like, that was a really great, I don't want to say speech, whatever you want to call it, speech. Um, but you you let me know that you really that it resonated with you what I wrote. Yes, and it did totally. Then I had people that would come up to me um, after speaking that, and I don't know how long they they were, you know, how long ago their loss was. It could have been fresh. It could have been old. Um, doesn't matter really. It's just the fact that it resonated with them and they would come up and, you know, let me know that they appreciated it. And, uh, that's definitely 
helps with the healing process. And I think it was my father who said, after a couple of years of doing um, the walks with AFSP, he was, I always thought I was doing it for my brother's memory. And my father is like, actually, we're doing it for us. Um, it's like an exercise for us to honor him. So it kind of changed the way I looked at it. And uh, I agree with that. And I finally feel like after almost a decade that I feel I'm at a good place. Um, I don't get drawn into morbid thoughts. I don't get drawn into, um, and at first I kind of felt guilty. Like, why am I not thinking about him every day? But I don't want, I don't think he'd want me to think about him every day. Um, I think he wants me to live my life. I think he wants me to be happy. And I know from the messages that he sent to me that we're going to meet again. So I made a conscious decision and with time, which helps. And, you know, with uh, just in knowing that I, I exerted that energy that was very intense and those emotions I had, I had a place to put it, which was with AFSP and volunteering in any way I could. And now 10 years later, I'm in a place where I'm at peace and um, I'm very happy to help or listen or talk to anyone who has had a similar loss um, that needs reassurance, that needs to know that they're not alone. Um, even if they have a lot of friends and family around them, they might not be able to delve into the level of pain or hurt, sadness, whatever, but there's people out there that will delve into that with them. And if someone were to, to come to you and ask, you know, maybe for, for your ear or your shoulder or whatever you want to call it, what is something that that you feel that you would offer them that could help? I would tell them to think about something really awesome that happened in their life, whether it was a surprise or they got a, they got the promotion they wanted at work or whatever. And I would, I would ask them to think about like the two or 24 hours before that happened you know, they probably were pensive. They were probably worried. They were probably maybe just, it was a blah day. And I ask, I want people to remember that life can change at any moment for good, not just for bad, for good. And I think it's important to, for me, I think about, you know, the two hours before I met Ralph, I didn't know I was going to meet him. You know, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to meet him and I was going to find, you know, the best partner, the best listener. Um, I didn't know I was going to have that happen. Is this and the same Ralph that we know? This is the same <laughs> Ralph. <laughs> Believe it or not. Uh, you know, you never Ralph. know. You never know. And you have to, you just so, you have to, uh, and be open. I, I don't like to even use the word have because you don't have to, but it's recommended by me that you think about um, 
that you remember that there's uh, ebbs and flows in life, there's peaks and valleys, and that you can get through them. They're going to suck. And sometimes you're the suck situation might last, you know, a day. And sometimes it may last months and sometimes years, but as long as you're willing to communicate, as long as you have somebody that you can talk to, and even if it's not someone, you know, but you just Google, um, a support group, or you go to a website like AFSP or NAMI or something, and you connect with people on there, um, do that favor for yourself. Don't carry it all by yourself on your back. Do that favor for yourself. That's nice. that's very that's a very powerful statement right there. Yeah. Very powerful. Thank you so much for being willing to come on and and talk about yourself and and be so vulnerable about your own feelings because it it and I, I understand it's been nearly a decade and it's does it still feel how does it feel to you now? Does it, does it feel distant or can you still feel though? Do you still get those same feelings? I remember the phone call that I got from my dad. I remember, um, driving on, um, what's the, what's the three way, what's that major road that goes to Schenectady? 890? Um, yeah. Um, uh, is it 890? But I remember driving like hysterically, so hysterically driving to my parents' house after getting the news. I remember a car that was next to me, like someone was looking at me. They were like parallel to my, me driving. And they're like looking at me like um, concerned. It, I was that hysterical driving. And I will never forget it, but I'm at peace with it now. I'm at peace with it. A lot of people may not, and that's the, the good thing about my loss, if I could say that there's a good thing, is that I wasn't in a, I was in a good relationship with my brother. He was in a good relationship with my parents. There's no guilt. There's no, uh, I wish I could have, or I wish I said this. There's none of that. That's huge. Um, it is that's a, that's a that's a heavy weight to carry for yep. sure on yep. top of our uh, an already tragic situation i think if i had had any of that it would be a whole different conversation um but i didn't i don't and so um i know where he is he's up in heaven i know he's fine uh i know that i'm very much looking forward to seeing him again um, I'm not afraid of death. It's kind of made it easier to not be afraid of that. Um, because I just know that I got people up there. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Cass, I, I appreciate so much that you were willing to come on and talk. Um, at the end of this, we're going to have you read one of your brother's poems, cool. but we usually finish up with three questions. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to say we're going to do all three because I think even the second one will be good because I know I already know what you're going to say. So, but Tim, go ahead. <laughs> do you have a favorite or least favorite word? Word, one word. You can say anything you want to. There's no, uh, there's no beeping here. So 
I don't, I don't like cunt. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm glad that you got to say it though. Cause there's, there's a lot other, I was like, well, what is that word? Like there was a couple weeks ago that I had a word that really pissed me off. And I was like, I hate that word. I hate when people say it. Of course, naturally now that I'm on the spot, I can't think of it. It's okay. Yeah. It's all good. Do you have a favorite word or a mantra? Is there anything that you tell yourself maybe on a hard day? Give it to God. There you go. All right. There you go. So our next question is, do you have a spirit animal or are you just an animal lover? I'm just an animal lover. You don't have a spirit animal? No, because there's too many that I, I can't pick. I can't, <laughs> okay. I can't pick one. So, so now that you're an animal lover, cat, dog, or other? Dog. I knew. We knew that. We knew that. I see all the. I see the pictures all the time. Oh, they're all over. That that dog is that dog is awesome. She's the best. So the last question is, if there was something that you would like to see done to for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? I would like to see in facilities that where people are. Um, long-term care. I would like to see the return of greenhouses, gardens. Um, I would like to see the return of there being activities and things that aren't just watching a television where people are using their hands and their skills to work out their anxieties and the things that are upsetting them to be productive. I don't want to see people with mental illness sitting in uh, day rooms or, you know, and just being stuck watching television, which I think, in my opinion, if they're just stuck watching the news is going to contribute to even more paranoia and anxiety. I would like for there to be back in the day, they used to have greenhouses and gardens and, um, I would like there to be things for people to use their skills towards in the mental health system, in the institutionalized mental health system, I guess I should say. Excellent. That's a good idea. I like it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the history is, is that all those greenhouses and green spaces were actually used to bait people into mental institutions. Really? So, yes. Yeah. They, they made them look nice. They made them look like country clubs, man. When, when they used to bring people in, they'd be like, see, you can be here and you can go for walks around the pond. And then they get into places and they were hell. That's like, guess, so, yeah. but, but I do love your, I, I do love your idea. Yeah. Well, and, I, and feel, in, I don't know if it was Creedmoor or Pilgrim Psychiatric. One of them was built on a, an old military base uh, down in the on Long Island. And the whole thing, I think it was prior to, I don't remember which, I don't want to say it was Kennedy, but it was somebody that um, took away like um, that institutionalism. It was Kennedy. Kennedy, Kennedy, Kennedy signed away institutions because community supports and what happened was the community supports weren't there. They didn't fund the community supports. They didn't, they didn't have any sort of rollout for community supports. They actually just sprung a bunch of people into society, unfortunately, right. that weren't prepared. And 
And it's like, it's, it's sad. It's very sad. And even that those places had, they did have like, like, cause they were, they had greenhouses and gardens and yes, they did. People were put, they felt like they had, um, you know, something that they could work on. Like, God forbid, if I ever need to be institutionalized, please put me in a place where I can work on a garden. Please don't just let me sit in front of a television. Um, where I'm just absorbing negativity because basically that's all the news is. Please let me put my talents to use, whether it's wood carving or right. It keeps you. Or, I think it keeps your brain fresh and yeah. It's got it's got multiple positive yeah. effects, you know. And it's just a purpose. Like it's I a did. purpose. It's a purpose. It's a purpose, you know. Yeah. Makes it just. I think it would create more connection. Maybe that's you know what, somebody next to somebody talking. Yep. That's what I want. That's if I would love for it to be, um, I would love for that sort of programming to be able to be funded and supported. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I, I know that like some of the, like some of the workshops are mainly for like more disabled people. I think a lot of times, I don't know if mentally ill people get to go to I some of the workshops. Any- I don't think they get any of that. I, I don't think they do either. That's, but I love that suggestion. We got to put that to. suggestion. We got to put that suggestion yeah. in a box somewhere. Yep. Yeah, they used to. And uh, everything got, so I don't know. I just put myself in other people's shoes and I put myself in the, in the shoes of a person that, um, well, I suppose if you're hospitalized in that way that you're deemed a harm to yourself or others long-term, and I sure hope that, you know, my days would be spent. I would need for me to be recuperated, for me to feel, to, for there to be benefit for my hospitalization. It would be that I was um, using my talents or skills and put me to work, put me to work. Let me have a purpose. Everyone, need, everyone needs a purpose. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs a purpose. Thank you so much. Yeah. I yes, thank, thank you, you very much. thank you, um, Tim. What what do you think, man? Is, do you have anything? Where do you want to wrap up? No, I, I I'm <laughs> uh, no, I'm just grateful that she was uh, willing to share her story with us, and um, you know, trusting us with with the story of Jonathan. Absolutely. Yes, Cass. Thank you so much. Uh, we. Uh, this is very important to us. I'm so grateful to be the curator of these stories, man. It's I like, it. it's, it's awesome. Like, cause you know, we're the curators of hope. At least we like to think we are. Anyway, <laughs> You are. You uh, are. We are going to leave this episode with some of Jonathan's words. Um, I'm going to, I'll close this episode out. We're not going to close it with our signature stuff. I'm going to let Cass take us out with a poem. Okay, thank you. There's four that I bookmarked in his book. My mother put it together. He actually didn't put this together. My mother did. It's a labor of love, the collective poetic works. Um, He wrote most of this when he was probably in like later years of high school. Um, But the one that really I liked the best because it's the sibling thing. And because I saw it too, in my mind's eye, hold on, I bookmarked it. Where is it? 
hand of God. Earthworm, stranded in rain funeral, left to die alone on the concrete desert, easy victim of bird's prey, estranged murderers and traveling stomping feet. What was he thinking? What brought him there? Here to this symmetrical abyss, final horse latitude purgatory, devoid of food, no subsistence, no survival within range of his short life or sloth travels. Movement grows slow, hopeless, in meager desperation. He is lifted up and placed in the gardens, high and unreasonable, by the hand of his God. If you've lost someone to suicide, you may feel overwhelmed by grief, confusion, or even anger, but you are not alone. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention offers support in the weeks and months following a suicide. The Healing Conversations program gives those who have lost someone to suicide the opportunity to talk with a caring volunteer. Having experienced suicide loss themselves, our volunteers know firsthand the emotions associated with this type of loss. They can offer comfort and guidance, as well as community resources that may be useful on the path ahead. Healing Conversations are available in person, on the phone, or by video chat. To learn more about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and how to schedule your own healing conversation, please visit afsp.org forward slash healing conversations.